You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. I like to try to say as often as I can, reminding us that the church is not a building. It's a people. It's God's redeemed. We even talked some about that this morning as we dive a little bit deeper into the book of Galatians, which is where we're camping out this fall. Uh, That'll lead us all the way up to the season of Advent, a series entitled, as you see behind me on the screen, No Other Gospel. The, the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, the, the book of Galatians, has been deemed by some, believed, as we talked about last week, to be uh, one of the first of what we now know to be Paul's New Testament writings, maybe even written as early as A.D. 48, which would date the, this letter to less than 20 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, written to a number of churches that Paul helped to plant in and around Galatia, many of the details of which Luke gives account in the book of Acts. We'll, we'll look at that as we get deeper as well into this letter, some of the parallels there. there. Uh, the book of Galatians, uh, an incredibly impassioned writing, uh, as we'll see in places, uh, even this morning's passage, fiery even. The apostle Paul uh, having heard of some troubling things, having crept into the belief and practice of the Galatian churches, a, a threat to the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, false teachers having come in with a distortion of the, the gospel, the details of which we'll get into soon enough. They're, they're teaching bewitching, particularly to the many Gentiles within the populations of those churches. Such teaching not only stirring up division and strife, but leading many to turn away from the one true gospel, sounding off alarm bells for the apostle Paul, leading him to compose this impassioned letter that those in the Galatian churches might, as we just sang, find life in the sweetness of freedom. Going back to a quote I shared last week from Tim Keller in his commentary on this book of the Bible, he says, the the book of Galatians is dynamite. It is an explosion of joy and freedom which leaves us enjoying a deep significance, security, and satisfaction. The life of blessing God calls his people into. Why, he asks? Because it brings us face to face with the gospel. It's very common in Christian circles to assume that the gospel is something mainly for non-Christians. We see it as a set of basic ABC doctrines that are the way in which someone enters the kingdom of God. We often assume, he says, that once we're converted, we don't need to hear or study or understand the gospel. We need more advanced material. But in this short letter, Paul outlines the bombshell truth that we, the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. It is not only the way to enter the kingdom, he says, it is the way to live as part of the kingdom. It is the way Christ transforms people, churches, and communities. Paul's letter to the the Galatians, an explosion of joy and freedom. In the words of one scholar, Galatians is the epistle of the soul set free. A letter inviting us to sit with and, and steep in its glorious truths that we, like the Galatians, might 
grow in deeper understanding and appreciation of the truth, the beauty, and the hope of the gospel. The good news of the rescuing, redeeming work of Jesus for sinners like you and me. To the everlasting praise of God, to the everlasting joy of his people. So with that, I invite you to open up to Galatians chapter 1. We'll be in verses 6 through 10 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the chairs in the row in front of you. Feel free to use that Bible during our time together. You can take that copy with you if you don't own a copy of the Scriptures. We'd be excited to know that you're exploring uh, the Scriptures on your own time outside of gatherings like these. Let me, uh, let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll jump in because we had a little bit of ground to cover this morning. God, we could never close the gap that stood between we as sinners and you uh, in perfect, holy, righteous beauty. We can never claw our way to you, another way to put it. Praise be to you that you bridged the gap that we could never bridge ourselves. Your son stooping down into the slums of our fallen, broken world to bring redemption where there otherwise would be no redemption. Jesus living the life that we could never live. Marching your way to Golgotha to die the death that we deserve to die, only to rise three days later from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. Someday to return to set all things right. The greatest of happily ever afters for your redeemed. Got to pray that the beauty of the gospel would invigorate our hearts yet again, perhaps for some for the first time, that, that there would be a, a first glory hallelujah shout in response to the beauty and truth of the gospel for somebody in this gathering this morning, for many of us, uh, another glory hallelujah shout. Got to pray that we would be encouraged fortified in our beliefs this morning as we sit with what so many churches have and are abandoning the only gospel, the one true gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we all would be encouraged, myself included, to be a part of a church that's fighting for the centrality of the gospel, that isn't ashamed to preach the gospel that is excited to believe the gospel. Holy Spirit, would you move in power as we sit with your inspired word in front of us and may it be to your glory, O oh God, and your glory alone and may the joy and good be ours. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we talked about this a little bit last week. As we get into this morning's passage, you'll, you'll notice that Paul doesn't follow his greeting to the churches in Galatia with his standard expressions of gratitude, encouragement, and prayer, which we see in most of Paul's letters, uh, including, and consider this, including his writing to the church in Corinth at the time, a church filled with overwhelming divisiveness and immorality. Even with that church, Paul could say, I'm grateful for you, I'm encouraged by you, and I'm praying for you. Not so with Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. Immediately following his greeting with a word of rebuke in confronting the lurking threat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Like a parent who looks out and sees his or her child reaching out to touch a hot stove or rushing toward a busy street. Paul says, verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I'm astonished, Paul says. I can't believe what I'm hearing. The, the word translated astonished in the, the original Greek, it's the same word used again and again in the gospel accounts to describe people's response to Jesus' miracles. Paul here expressing absolute shock like one having just witnessed a leper cleansed or 5,000 men and their families fed with the contents of a little boy's lunchbox. The Apostle Paul, astonished, overwhelmed with amazement. Amazed, notice not that there are false teachers. As Paul knew as well as anyone that there would always be the danger of, of false teachers. Rather, astonishment that the Galatians are listening to these false teachers. That they're being swayed by their teaching. That they're turning to a different gospel. A distortion of the good news of Jesus Christ. Which Paul doesn't, in its details, get into, at least not at this point in the letter. Though the general argument, uh, as we'll see, is that false teachers were insisting that the Galatian Gentiles be circumcised and submit to the Mosaic Law in order to have right legal standing with God, in order to be counted among the true people of God. Which again has its parallels with uh, what we see in Acts chapter 15, which we'll surely explore as we get a little deeper into this letter. But notice that it's not just that, that Paul is astonished that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel, but just as eye-opening is that they're turning so quickly Again, Paul's letter to the Galatians, it's believed to be one of the first of what we now know as Paul's New Testament writings, perhaps written even as early as A.D. 48, which again would not only date this letter to less than 20 years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, but would too date the letter to as early as a year or so after Paul's planting of the gospel in this region. One of the most successful missionary initiatives in all of church history. One that led to a great number of both Jewish and Greek converts, Acts chapter 14, verse 1. One that led to the word of the Lord spreading throughout the whole region, Acts chapter 13, verse 49. Here, perhaps only a year or so later, one winter, spring, summer, fall later, deserting him who called them in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel, verse 6. I'm reminded of the golden calf incident in the book of Exodus where the people of Israel bowed down and offered sacrifices to an idol soon after having been set free from Egypt and having received the law at Mount Sinai. Exodus chapter 32 verses 7 and 8. And the Lord said to Moses, go down from the mountain for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have, here it is, turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. It doesn't take years and years for a church to abandon the gospel. 
in the case of the churches of Galatia, perhaps as early as a, a year or so after Paul's planting of the gospel in that very region, perhaps only a year or so in the aftermath of one of the most successful missionary initiatives in all of Christianity. I'm astonished, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. The word translated desert in the original Greek signifying a transfer or betrayal of allegiance. First used in a military context in describing turncoats. Later used in describing those having turned from one religion or philosophy to, to another. And yet notice that Paul doesn't simply have in mind the, the deserting of a belief, a doctrine. But more than that, a deserting of a person. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Him being God. Paul here in this letter declaring that it's not solely a doctrinal issue, but a relational, experiential issue. That to turn from a different gospel is to abandon the Lord. Nothing less at stake in Paul's plea than our relationship with the living God. In the words of one scholar, to turn from the gospel of grace is to turn from the God of grace. As Paul will go on to say later in this very same letter, Galatians chapter 5 verse 4, You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Severed from Christ, fallen from grace. The two go hand in hand. That anyone who abandons the gospel is one who has abandoned God himself. That any church that abandons the gospel is a church that has abandoned God himself. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, Paul says, but there's some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There is no other gospel, Paul says. There is only one, and there need be but only one. One Savior, one way to God. I mean, talk about a declaration that flies in the face of religious pluralism. I haven't shared this with many people. With one of the first churches that I served on staff in a full-time capacity, I came to learn eventually that one of the pastoral assistants, one of the pastoral assistants was a universalist, believing that all roads and religions lead to the top of the mountain, so to speak. Similar beliefs having crept in in recent years and been expressed by presiding pastors and bishops of incredibly large denominations. Such threats to the gospel, not only lurking out there, so to speak, but too arising from within the church. As Paul declared in one of his later letters to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 through 15, Paul says, and What I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. 
And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul calls those distorters of the gospel in Corinth false apostles and deceitful workmen, masquerading as angels of light, all the while servants of the devil who too masquerades as an angel of light. The Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian elders on his way back from his third missionary journey, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. I know, Paul says, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You see what Paul's saying? You see what the church is up against? False teaching doesn't always seek to do away with Christian terminology, but rather at times seeks to co-opt and distort those very terms and ideas. A different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. In the words of one pastor and scholar, the most dangerous teachers are the ones who preach a different Christ but still call him Jesus. Another way to say it, those peddling false gospels don't walk around with red tails and pitchforks. Not everyone who professes to be a Christian serves Christ, and not every message wrapped in the word gospel is the gospel. I mean, think of the many Christians and pastors in our day and age who have abandoned significant elements of Christian doctrine. Think of the many who have distanced themselves from the message of salvation in Christ alone for fear of being perceived as narrow-minded. Think of the many who have promised health and prosperity to all whose faith is big enough, leaving those in the furnace of affliction embarrassed and ashamed. Think of the many even within influential circles of biblical orthodoxy who have taken the Bible out of context in order to fit their agenda. There are dangers in the form of anti-gospels outside the church, And there are dangers in the form of counterfeit gospels within the church. The churches of Galatia, in Paul's estimation, in grave danger. He goes on to say in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Paul says it not once, but twice. For one, to make sure it's clear that he's thinking rationally and communicating rationally. That these words are not some sort of heat of the moment, impassioned outburst. But two, to emphasize what's at stake here. The severity of undermining the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's declaring that anyone who would preach a different gospel stands under the divine curse of God. It's the language of excommunication. The word translated accursed from the Greek word anathema, meaning nothing less than a suffering under the judicial wrath of God himself. The gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul says, is not to be tampered with, 
No free passes for the apostles. No free passes even for the angels. No messenger, no matter how impressive, has the right nor authority to change the message of the gospel. As Paul himself will go on to say soon enough in this letter, the gospel is not something that he arrived at nor was taught. The gospel is something that he received. As F.F. Bruce says in his commentary on the book of Galatians, the gospel preached by Paul is not the true gospel because it is Paul who preaches it. It is the true gospel because the risen Christ gave it to Paul to preach. There is no other gospel not even from the mouths of angels themselves. Paul goes on to say in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Some thought, and we'll get into this a little bit more as we dive deeper into this letter, some thought that Paul may have been avoiding preaching circumcision in order to gain favor among the Gentiles. That Paul was a people pleaser, seeking the approval of those around him, a chameleon of sorts. Which is kind of funny when you think about what Paul left behind in following Jesus. Perhaps the most well-known articulation found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, where Paul says, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul had everything in the eyes of of man, not the least of which an admirable reputation among those around him. In those days, a people pleaser, which is why Paul says, if I were still trying to please man, Having clearly given that up. I mean, think about it this way. Paul's Paul's words to the Galatians, they're not exactly likely to make him an influencer in today's society. His pronouncement of damnation upon those who would distort the gospel. In fact, as we know, Paul would go on to be persecuted and eventually martyred for his commitment to this one true gospel. What is it that oftentimes motivates people in roles of influence? Answer, that which will win them the favor of the most people. See it in politics, all the time, on all sides, whatever will obtain the most votes. See it on social media, all the time, on all platforms, whatever will obtain the most likes and retweets. You see it in the church, all the time, In all denominations and networks, whatever will tickle the most ears or please the most parishioners. The song of the Apostle Paul, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. 
than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Paul, a servant of Christ, committed to the one true gospel of Christ. The gospel from the Greek word euangelion. It's where we get our English word evangelism, meaning good news. The gospel is not good advice. It's not a 12-step program. The gospel is good news. Something happened. Good news having at its core and foundation the person and redemptive work of Jesus Christ so that there is no gospel, there is no good news apart from Jesus. It's sobering to think that the churches of Galatia had their elders appointed by Paul and Barnabas themselves. Luke tells us as much in Acts chapter 14. They were set up with good church government. It's sobering to think that even a church with Pauline appointed elders can drift. And so with that, it seems wise and good to close our time in the scriptures this morning with a clear proclamation of the gospel. Recognizing that assuming the gospel is always one step away from abandoning the gospel. And so here it is, taken directly from our church's statement of faith. The gospel is the good news that while we were dead in our sin and unable to save ourselves, Jesus Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, enabling us to enjoy making much of him forever. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. To be justified by grace alone means that we do absolutely nothing to merit our own acquittal. To be justified by faith alone means that we believe and trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ alone as our means of justification. Jesus took our sin upon himself and in return gifts us his perfect, obedient righteousness. With the heart, one believes and is justified. To the one who trusts in Jesus Christ alone, his faith is counted as righteousness. This gospel is also the foundation for our confidence in the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom and the consummation of his purpose for all creation in the new heaven and new earth. This gospel is centered in Christ, is the foundation for the life of the church, and is in opposition to that pastoral assistant in my past church experience, our only hope for eternal life. This gospel is not proclaimed if Christ's penal substitutionary death and bodily resurrection are not central to our message. Perhaps today is the the day of salvation for someone in this gathering. Maybe even someone who's been churched up to this point but has been a part of the many churches that don't preach the gospel. The day to repent of your sins and to put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that can only be found in him. The day to shout glory, hallelujah, in response to the truth, beauty, and hope of the true gospel. Our time in the scriptures this morning, too, an exhortation to any and all drifters. It's sobering to think that the churches of Galatia had their Pauline-appointed elders. But it's encouraging to consider that the Galatians weren't yet a lost cause. As we see in Paul's language, his present tense language of are turning versus have turned. 
meaning that they were in the process of, of turning but hadn't fully and finally drifted away from the truth. I would say if there be any drifters among us this morning, turn your eyes upon Jesus and shout once again in response to the gospel, glory, hallelujah. That the invitation to, to all of us to sing and shout the good news of Christ, to take that good news out into the streets. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.